This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, what a miserable old day. It's uh, raining here. It's raining uh, everywhere, so I'm told. Uh, it rained in Grand Falls, Windsor, where they had a pretty exciting announcement this afternoon, and we'll have more about that in our news. But a few months ago, the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands started asking questions about the existence of a report by the citizens' representative into allegations of workplace harassment and bullying at elections, Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, this week, Premier Andrew Fury and uh, Attorney General John Hogan acknowledged the existence of a report and indicated that it had been forwarded to the Privacy Commissioner for review. Well, yesterday the Privacy Commissioner declined that offer or announced that he had declined that offer earlier in the week and offered some clarification into his mandate and role, which is largely under the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act. Well, the man who first raised the matter is my guest today on On Target, Paul Lane, hello. Hello, Linda. How are you doing this afternoon? Great. So uh, what exactly do you know about this report? Well, you know, I can only basically repeat what I've been saying all along. Um, I had, um, I, I, well, initially, of course, it was one person called me. Uh, it was actually the spouse um, of one of the people who uh, made a complaint, contacted me, told me that, uh, you know, that the individual had, uh, and, and 21 others, or I think they said it was 21 in total, um, had made a uh, report to the uh, citizen's representative around issues around bullying, harassment, uh, nepotism, and, and, and other matters. Uh, that that had happened approximately a year ago, that an investigation had taken place that took somewhere around nine months, thereabouts, happened just after the election, the last election. And that, to their knowledge, the report was written and it had been sent to the Speaker uh, some two months ago, uh, almost three months now, but at the time, some two months ago, and basically that's where it had uh, that's where the trail ended and uh nothing had been done done with it since um subsequent to uh so i brought that forward in the house assembly couldn't get any uh, response from anyone um subsequent to that my colleague dave brazel the pc's leader of the official opposition he tried asking a question about it in question period speaker would not allow him to answer to uh, ask the question cut him off immediately tried again I think the next day and the same thing happened and up until that point we could get no even acknowledgement that such a report even existed uh, of course fast forward to uh, just a couple of days ago and uh, lo and behold the uh, premier and uh, justice minister are in the I'm media the acknowledging uh, that the report PM. does Thanks. indeed exist uh, I believe they said that, uh, you know, the contents of the report uh, were, uh, I can't remember the exact wording the Premier used, but very similar to what was being put out there, and uh, that it was being referred to the uh, Management Commission. And that's where we're to today. 
So normally when reports are conducted by the citizens rep, and you can understand that they're very sensitive in nature, they're often dealing with uh, employee, employer type of things, especially if it's in a uh, type of whistleblower type realm, um, sure. they're normally kept quiet. Um, and uh, the citizen rep uh, seldom, um, you know, speaks publicly about it. Uh, they'll He'll give his recommendations. And this is my understanding of it, having had him on the show some time ago. Um, right. So word of this report got out through, as you say, a family member. Um, how How is it normally handled when the citizens rep conducts this kind of a report? Well, see, you know, government right now, and, and, and I, I understand, uh, I saw the Premier on yesterday and the, uh, the uh, Minister of Justice, they were seemed very frustrated and so on, and, and it was... I, I was disappointing. I was, I was glad to hear that they were going to refer it uh, to the House Assembly Management Commission, where that's actually where it belongs, and arguably should have gone there some nearly three months ago. Uh, but they seemed more frustrated, which was disappointing to me, by the fact that someone had leaked the report, more upset about that than they were about the fact that uh, the report was being held onto for this length of time, and allegedly we have all these employees working in a toxic work environment so that that was disappointing but in the normal course uh of business what should have happened is uh i think the, i think the process was followed properly uh by the citizens representative uh people came in from what i understand uh they made their uh, complaints there was interviews that took place an investigation took place citizens rep wrote a report um, and uh, he submitted to the Speaker, and that's what he's supposed to do under the Act, uh, a report along with any recommendations that may be included uh, in there for corrective action. Where all this fell apart was once it reached the Speaker's desk. And, uh, you know, in the normal course of events, uh, in, in my view, uh, the Speaker should have had a look at it. I, I understand he could have took a a day or a week or whatever to read through it all and, and, and sort of grasp what's contained within there. But, um, you know, after that period of time, uh, it should have been immediately then referred to the House Assembly Management Commission and uh, then the matter could be dealt with. If that had been done in a timely manner, this never would have been a leaked report because the people involved who made the complaint would have known that their matter was being dealt with. But where this came off the rails is once these people were aware that, okay, the report is done uh, and recommendations are made, it's gone to the Speaker, and now a week goes by, we don't hear nothing. Two weeks goes by, three weeks, a month, two months, two and a half months, and still nothing happening. That's where the wheels fell off, and that's where these people just got totally frustrated, realized, I guess, in their mind that this was going nowhere after all they've gone through and, and allegedly are still going through, and it was going to be buried and ignored. That's, that's how they felt. So they felt that they had to reach out to someone to try to bring this forward and to get things moving. And uh, in this case, they happened to come to me. Uh, one individual did. And subsequent to that, I've had uh, probably five or six or seven other people involved who have also reached out to me. And I understand people have reached out to the official opposition as well. Uh, out of sheer frustration. So if government is looking for anybody to blame over how this got out here in this way, uh, all they have to do is look in the mirror. My guest today on On Target is Paul Lane, independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands. We'll be back right after this. 
Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're talking about a uh, citizen's rep report, uh, first brought to the attention of the public, I suppose, by... Uh, independent MHA from Mount Pearl Southlands, Paul Lane, and he's my guest here today on On Target. And uh, Paul, would it be typical for a report like this to go to the Speaker of the House? What's the Speaker's role here? Uh, yeah, if you look at the uh, House, Reten- uh, House Assembly Accountability, Integrity and Administration Act, uh, it clearly outlines the process. And as I uh, indicated there before the break, uh, the process was followed right up until the point that the citizens' representative delivered the report to the speaker. Under the legislation, uh, then the speaker is given some options as to what he does with that report, and they are outlined in the act. Um, one option is the auditor general um, doesn't say doesn't say under which under what circumstance, and there's another issue which we can talk about a little bit after about uh, changes required to legislation. But auditor general is one option, and I would assume that would be if, say, the citizens rep did a report and there was some financial impropriety detected, and he he might have said, uh, you know, here's the report. I recommend that this be referred to the auditor general to do some kind of a forensic financial audit, for example. Um, another option given there is the Attorney General. And again, I would just, uh, these are assumptions on my part because it doesn't exactly outline in the Act why you would send it to these people. But I guess if there was some sense of potential criminal wrongdoing, perhaps it might go to the Attorney General uh, to have a look at. Also says the Finance Minister. Kind of puzzled as to why Finance Minister would be in there. Uh, only thing I can think of off the top of my head would be finance minister is also responsible for human resources so that's a possibility i guess as to why finance minister may be appropriate and then it says or the house assembly management commission uh, which is clearly where this particular report belongs the problem is in the legislation it does not give any time frames for the speaker to do so it just says he has to refer it to one of those entities uh so you know arguably uh if you just based on the the legislation as written he could hold on to report for the next two years and then say okay now i'm going to refer it to one of those bodies because there's no time frames however if you want to look at the spirit and the intent and and what a reasonable person would do one would think you know that once you had a chance to read the report digest what was in there uh you know maybe a week two weeks then you would decide okay where do i send this and it would have been sent certainly to wait some two and a half months as i understand it is uh is totally outside of what i would think a reasonable person would do and that's part of the problem we have here so you mentioned these uh, certain cir- circumstances and where a report like this should be forwarded on, depending on those circumstances. You mentioned uh, potential changes to the legislation. What do you mean by that? Okay, well, uh, f- first of all, uh, the other point I want to make, Linda, too, which I didn't make that time, was in the Act, nowhere in the Act does it say refer to the Premier and Cabinet, just as an aside, because that's where ultimately the Premier or the Speaker sent it, and that's not even in the Act. It doesn't say... That's not one of the options listed. So that that in itself is a question I would have as to why it even went that route. But anyway, with that said, yes, um, I have made a complaint to the citizens' rep myself, 
uh, around the handling of this matter. And one of the things I've asked the citizens rep to have a look at is to look at the, the, the legislation, the, uh, the Accountability, Integrity and Administration Act, because as I said, in the act, it, it, it outlines a process and it outlines these choices that speaker has, but it does not sort of outline, well, when would you refer it to the other general? When would you refer it to the attorney general? When would you refer it to the finance minister? When would you refer it to the House Assembly? On like under what circumstances would it go to each of these individuals? It's all wide open. And again, and the other thing, of course, is that there is no timelines. So technically, it just says refer it. It doesn't say when. So technically, the speaker could say, okay, I read the report, I considered it for two years, and then I referred to the House Assembly Management Commission. And while that may seem extreme and ridiculous, which it would be, uh, arguably holding on to it for two and a half months is uh, equally extreme and ridiculous, but that's what happened. So I think that there needs to be changes to the legislation that would outline when it would need to be for, referred to any of these uh, bodies. I think the Management Commission, even if it's referred to any of the other officers of the House, I think the Management Commission should be notified immediately of the existence of said report. That's not there, but I think it should be. And I think there needs to be timelines for once the Speaker receives it, he should have a certain set period of time that he must forward it. And if it goes to these other bodies, then there should be timelines as to how long they can hang on to it. And there should be, you know, things in there to say that once it's gone to these other bodies, that there must be, like, progress reports given to the House Assembly Management Commission so that they are aware of what's going on. None of those things are written in the legislation, and um, and because of that, you have all these loopholes that can be used, I suppose, and interpretations or misinterpretations of the intent of the act. So we need to tighten it up and uh, have it more specific and more rigid, I believe, to ensure that things are done properly in the future. Do you think by raising this publicly... Uh, yourself and the opposition forced uh, either the speakers or provincial government's hands in in trying to find out what's going on here. Uh, it, it seems that way, uh, to be honest, um, because there was, you know, until this happened, there was no inkling of a report. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a denial, really, that one even existed. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, I I think that that's ultimately what led us here i think that the official complaint uh that i made to the uh citizens rep and and i know my colleague eddie joyce also made one i believe the ndp also made one uh regarding the process that's been followed and uh the investigation that has started on that front i think that that may have forced the speaker's hand as well um i can't speak for him but i i think it all contributed to getting it getting it out there at the end of the day, it never should have gone this route. It should have been dealt with, like I say, the report should have been received. It should have been forwarded within a reasonable period of time, maybe a week or two, and uh, we could have avoided all this. Um, it didn't happen, but I am glad that it's out there now. And for me, uh, you know, my only motivation in all this, by the way, you know, as an independent member, this for me, this is not about, you know, um, I have no personal animosity towards anybody. This is not about bringing down the government. I, I'm not looking for Andrew Fury's job. I couldn't have it if I wanted it. I'm an independent member. I could never form government or be government. This, for me, is all about 
be 21 or 22 because uh, I had a subsequent compl- uh, call from persons that there's actually 22 and not 21. So whatever it is, the 21 or 22 or however many employees who, um, you know, almost a year ago came forward with some pretty serious allegations, as I understand it, and concerns who indicate to me that they've been working in a toxic work environment uh, who, who you know, took that leap because it's not easy for them to get together and make a formal whistleblower re- report, you know, uh, that takes a lot of courage to do. I'm sure that uh, was, I'm sure that they didn't want to have to go that route, uh, but I guess they found that they had no other choice. But, you know, for them to do that and to go through all that and believe that they're going to get, uh, you know, justice and that this matter is going to be dealt with seriously, and then to see um, no action taking place and they're continuing uh, allegedly to be working in that environment, that's not good enough. And that's why, I, that's why I've been pushing this so hard is for them. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. They're the important ones in all this. Politics aside and, and, and everything else, this should be about those employees. My guest today on On Target is Paul Lane, the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands. And when we come back after the break, Paul, I want to ask you about the ramifications of uh, such a report and the uh, the potential allegations therein. I assume that you know the nature of some of these allegations based on the calls that you've been receiving. So I want to ask you a little bit about those ramifications after we get back after the break. Sure. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. My guest today on On Target is the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands, Paul Lane. And Paul, I was wondering, what are the potential ramifications, I suppose, of such a report? It might be unfair to to speculate at this stage, but uh, if those allegations are serious, what are the ramifications? Well, I think you have to look at it on two fronts. Uh, first, front, one being, uh, I, I guess, the ramifications in terms of uh, the government, the House Assembly, and so on. Uh, the other one in terms of the actual office. So this, first of all, this, this uh, the actual office itself. Um, I'm hesitant to uh, to speculate too much, Linda, because uh, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen the report. So I don't want to get into specifics based on hearsay because until, you know, it's going through the proper process now. It's going to go to the House Assembly Management Commission. They're going to see all the details uh, of it, and, and, and I'm sure they're going to uh, hopefully take it all. I'm sure they will take it seriously and, and do what needs to be done. But obviously, first thing, uh, my, my first concern, and I, I hope they would deal with are going to be the employees. That's got to be the number one priority. So if there, you know, if there is or, or they feel that this toxic workplace exists and so on, then uh, there has to be an intervention there immediately, uh, whether that be through uh, human resources, uh, you know, counseling, uh, you know, whatever needs to happen uh, to, to, to deal with that toxic workplace environment. And to make it uh, make it a safe place for people to go to work, so that they feel comfortable working, that needs to happen. Obviously, that's got to be priority number one. Um, obviously, you know uh, the person or persons who the allegations are being leveled at. Um, you know, depending on the nature of uh, those complaints and and you know whether they're found to be accurate. And and again, I don't know. I haven't seen the report. 
but obviously uh, there's going to be there's going to have to be accountability if I can put it that way there will have to be accountability for whoever um, you know whoever is implicated in this assuming that uh, that 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 the complaints are legit and, and and accurate and so on and the investigation shows that they are then there has to be accountability I'll, I'll leave it at that so, uh, again because I don't have the report i haven't seen the report and I, i'm trying to be fair to everybody um on the other side of things in terms of how this was handled and the house assembly um you know uh, again depending on what is in that report the seriousness of the report um what the recommendations may have been if there was recommendations for example made by the uh, by the citizens rep for certain things to actions to be taken as an example and if those actions weren't taken and instead the report was held on to for two and a half to three months without taking any action if that's the case then uh, the speaker has some serious questions to answer and he's going to have to be accountable to the house assembly so uh you know uh, again it's it, it's it's difficult to speculate until i've actually seen the report itself but uh you know we'll, we'll let the management commission do their work now um, and uh, eventually, I guess there's going to be some recommendations or a report, at least, that's going to come forward to the House Assembly itself. And uh, when that happens, I'll certainly be having a lot to say at, at that point in time. But again, it's difficult to sort of speculate without having all the, you know, the accurate details in report form documented, um, you know, to be factual, you know, 100% factual uh, before you make public comments about it, you know. Absolutely. Um, but no doubt, I would imagine, and it wouldn't take very much imagination to to try to visualize how stressful it must have been at Elections NL back a year or more ago, um, because we've seen uh, a lot of questions that have been mm-hmm. raised about the process when the provincial election was first called in the midst of a pandemic, then, then delayed, and then moved to mail-in ballots and we know all the fallout from all of that so it, uh, no doubt there had to be some stress happening within that office a- around that time no doubt no doubt and while i think that uh the election may have been the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak um you know a number of people who have reached out to me have indicated that the issues go back way back before the election the election may have been like i say the straw that broke the camel's back but these are not from what i can gather you know there's been concerns going on there for longer than the ele- than since the election so what would you like to see happen next i want to see the house assembly management commission do their job obviously um which i'm sure they will now uh, I want to see. Um, uh, I want to. I want to know that uh, whatever actions are required by, you know, human resources or whatever to uh, to deal with that workplace, we need to get some people in there, uh, ASAP, if they're not already there, uh, to sort of intervene and and talk to the employees and offer them any assistance they require and and, and try to deal with whatever the issues are uh, I would hope that that's happening now uh, that's that's the immediate thing obviously uh, if there are people who um, 
you know, people had to be held accountable. So depending on what's in that report uh, and so on, if uh, accountability needs to uh, happen uh, with uh, people in the, you know, implicated, then I want to see them held accountable. Whatever that looks like, I'm not sure. It would obviously have to be based on what exactly happened, you know, which I, I can't honestly say, you know, what those things are uh, or the seriousness of them. So, um, so I, I want to see accountability. And uh, I also want to see, um, on the political side, I guess, I want to see some accountability and some answers as to why this process has unfolded the way it has. And that's why my complaint stands with the, uh, with the uh, citizens' representative. And um, I guess there will be a report at some point that will come forward to the House of Assembly. Well, it'll go to the House of Assembly Management Audit Committee, I believe. Um, and that will be around, you know, the actions of the Speaker, I, I guess, in terms of how this was handled and uh, to see what comes from there. But, uh, you know, we put in whistleblower legislation a few years ago. It was put in for for uh, for a purpose. It was put in there so that we could have accountability uh, in government, uh, another form of accountability. It was felt that employees were the ones who really knew what was going on. Um, while yes, the whistleblower legislation is there for issues around you know workplace bullying, harassment, all those types of issues, and those are important issues. That's not the only reason why the whistleblower legislation was put there. It was put there so that employees could come forward if they were aware of any kind of wrongdoing, any kind, um, and, and that they would have a comfort level in doing so, knowing that their complaints would be taken seriously, they would be investigated, uh, and uh, that there would be no repercussions against them for coming forward. Um, and I think that this process has set that back in the minds of a lot of people who are working for government because we've because what we've seen is we've seen a group of individuals come forward and now we've seen a, the process be delayed and delayed and and, uh, and and no action taken so what message does that send to someone in some other government department or government entity or agency or board or commission or whatever who may have uh, you know whether it be issues similar to this or whether it be issues of some other kind of uh, wrongdoing or mismanagement or mishandling of matters. And, uh, you know, uh, are they going to come forward in the future? Uh, this is certainly not going to encourage them to do so, and that concerns me as well. My guest today on On Target is independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands, Paul Lane. We'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Our guest today is the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands, Paul Lane. And um, Paul, I wanted to ask you, what you made of the Premier and John Hogan's uh, comments earlier this week and and the subsequent um, um, notification from the Privacy Commissioner that he had declined a request to review the report? Well, um, first of all, I'm going to say I think they're getting bad advice. Uh, I'll, I'll just put it out there. Um, but, um, yeah, like when they when they first came out, uh, first day they came out this week and they were talking about, you know, that they acknowledged the report existed and so on. And as I said to you at the opening of this uh, show, um, 
you know, I was glad to see that they were finally acknowledging it and it was going to go to the management commission. But I was disappointed in the tone they were taking, uh, you know, again, that they seemed more concerned about uh, who leaked the report than they did about the actual contents of the report itself. That, that's certainly how it, that's certainly how it uh, came across, for sure. Um, as for their comments yesterday or, you know, about the, uh, about the privacy commissioner and so on, um, I just want to say, first of all, I, um, Michael Harvey is a man of great integrity, and, I'm, and, and I think he demonstrated that uh, in his public response. Uh, you know, he's absolutely right. Uh, he is an independent officer of the House Assembly. He doesn't work for the government, per se. He doesn't report to the government, to the Premier. And it's not his job to be, uh, to be scrubbing reports for, for the government. Um, his job is uh, if if any government agency uh, or entity uh, has a report and they are de- and, and they decide to redact it and someone uh, puts in a complaint saying I look for information and it was all blacked out, then he's the guy that you go to to appeal that and say, listen, you know, uh, did they you know they denied me information uh, based on you know cabinet documents or, or client or client's list or privilege or all this is blacked out or whatever, is this legit? And he's the person who determines whether it was legit or not. He's not the person who actually does the blacking out and the redacting on behalf of government. So uh, I, I, I think that uh, that was probably a bit of an embarrassing moment uh, in reflection for uh, for the Premier and, uh, and the Minister. And I know the Minister did go back again yesterday and somewhat double down and said, well, the Premier didn't really ask him to scroll, but he asked him to have a look at it. Well, clearly the Premier in the press conference said, I'm asking him to take it and scroll it. But I guess they were, you know, trying to uh, defend the the indefensible a little bit, I suppose. And I don't know, maybe they think that, uh, you know, maybe they think that they're uh, doing a bit of damage control and that, but I think they make themselves look worse in those scenarios. But anyway, it it is what it is. I'm glad that... uh, uh, I'm, you know, again, I'm glad that it's going to the right place now, and and hopefully the management commission will do their work, and uh, and we can deal with this matter, uh, you know, and for the employees involved, most importantly. Now, there's lots of other issues facing the province right now, not the least of which, of course, is the cost of living. Uh, what kind of issues are constituents bringing to your attention? Oh my goodness! Uh, I hear from so many people, and and not just my constituents. I'm hearing from people from all throughout the province, Labrador, and and so on. It's uh, uh, certainly Labrador is part of our province, um, but but all throughout the province, and uh, on cost of living issues is certainly a big one. I hear so many stories, you know, uh, from people who are finding it so difficult uh, to survive now with uh, the price of uh, gas. Uh, and the price of groceries, home heating, uh, uh, the cost of heating their home. I, I had one person here a while ago say I had to take a part-time job in order to pay for the gas to win my car to go to my full-time job. <laughs> they were sort of half-joking, but they were, but they were actually serious. Um, people are finding it very, very tough. And, and, and I look, we all understand like the geopolitical events that are occurring and so on that are driving the, the prices of home heating uh, fuel and, and, and gasoline. Government can't control that. And and personally, I think that, uh, you know, that uh, a lot of the corporations are taking advantage of that. Uh, and we're seeing what I view as a lot of gouging occurring as well. 
when you look at the record profits that you're seeing in in uh, in some of these large companies, um, you know, I think they're really taking advantage. You know, government have they gone far enough to help people? I suppose you know, there's there's always a balance that has to be. Uh, has to be reached. Uh, we do have a huge provincial uh, debt and, and uh, you know year-over-year deficits that government has to be concerned about. But at the same time, um, you know, government also has a responsibility for those of us who are living here, and certainly the most vulnerable amongst us. They have to do what they can to, to to try to help them out during these extraordinary times. So, I was certainly glad to support my colleagues in the. Uh, in the official opposition and the NDP on, on calling on government to uh, do more than what they had initially proposed in the in the budget, and and we've seen a little bit of a little bit more help. Could they have gone a bit further? Arguably, they could, um, but you know we kind of are where we are at this point in time. But um, you know we will certainly continue. I know I will continue to raise these cost of living issues. Uh, on behalf of my constituents and anyone who reaches out to me, uh, both inside and, and outside the House Assembly, because these are important people issues. And we can never forget, I know politicians sometimes do, that it's the people who put us there. We're, there, we're supposed to be there to represent them and uh, work for them and what's in their best interests. And uh, so we always have to be mindful of that. And uh, whatever their priorities are, that should be, all, that should be our priorities as elected officials. To quote uh, Joni Mitchell, I've seen the world from both sides. Now, you've been on uh, the opposition side. You've been on the government side. Now you're sitting as an independent. Do you find that uh, you're a little more restricted or a little more free with, uh, you know, the work that you're able to do? Uh, I'm way more free. I'm able to uh, – I, I would. I don't think I could ever – go back to be honest with you um wouldn't wouldn't trade the position I'm, i've been in now for the last uh, i guess two elections three years um as as an independent member um because you know when it comes to district work and so on nothing changes you know whether you're uh, whether you are uh, in uh, in a party or you're independent your day-to-day district issues helping people uh, that's the same um, as far as in goes in the House Assembly, I actually I actually have um, the opportunity to speak more in the House Assembly uh, than any um, party member because generally speaking, when legislation comes before the House Assembly, uh, you know the minister will bring it in, and one or two people on the government side may speak to it, and the opposition would have their critic and maybe one or two others uh, would speak to it. I, I speak to every single piece of legislation. Um, I, I speak, you know, multiple times on on, on different bills and, and, and certainly through the budgetary process and everything else. So uh, I, I get to ask questions, not as many questions, certainly as uh, nowhere near the, the amount of questions as you would say on, in the opposition. But then again, in the opposition is primarily the... Uh, the leader of the official opposition that asks most of the questions anyway and and you know the, the other members might get a turn every now and then so uh in that side i'm not restricted um but the beauty of it is you get to speak your mind on all issues you get to speak on behalf of the people who elected you uh you're not tied to um any political party you're not tied to any uh, corporate interests and so on, who may be, you know, arguably supporters of the party. You're not tied to labor. You're not tied to anybody, only the people who elected you. Uh, 
So I can basically say whatever I want, when I want, totally unrestricted based on what I think is in the best interest of the people who elected me. And uh, that is something I would never want to trade. How much of that towing the party line does go on behind closed doors? Oh, constant. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. That's the expectation. Uh, I mean, I got tossed from the Liberals for not uh, not towing the party line. And I mean, look, you know, you see legislation being passed in the House Assembly and, uh, and uh, everything is, you know, everything is passed unanimously on the government side every single time. There's never any dissent. Um, um, and I would say that in many cases, and this is nothing against any particular members of, of this government, any different than any government before them, but I've often said, you know, uh, a lot of times when it comes to legislation, like, you're told how you're voting anyway, so I'd say there's, I'd say if you were to, uh, if, if you had a, a bill or something go through the House, um, and, you know, there were a number of aspects to that bill and, and changes and so on, um, as, I, as, as an opposition member, certainly, uh, you know, you need to study that and understand exactly what the changes are because you're there to critique it and so on um, and and possibly, you know, propose alternatives and, and, and amendments to make it better. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've often said a lot of times, you know, you see legislation go through, it would be an interesting exercise if someone went up to just a random member on the government side and say, yeah, you just passed that bill. Can you tell me what that was all about? And uh, I, I, it'd be interesting to see uh, how many knew exactly what to vote for <laughs> in a specific way, you know, uh, maybe in a general way, but uh, the specifics of a bill would be interesting to know if they even knew because it's, it's, it's sort of a matter of here's what we're doing. Uh, you have a whip vote system, so, you know, the whip will come over and say, okay, we're going to vote nay on the uh, on the amendment and we're going to vote yay on the on the bill or whatever and you just do what you're told it's scary in a way <laughs> it is it is but that's the that's the system and i suppose you know if you're in a party system uh, you know the government would fall pretty quick i suppose if your members didn't support their own government you know uh, so you know uh, there is a bit of a trade-off i suppose in that regard but uh but it is tough, and, uh, and and I've been there. It's tough sometimes when, you know, you're voting for things. And sometimes, like, you might vote for something. You say, well, I can live with it, I suppose. I don't really necessarily agree with it, but you kind of have to vote for it anyway, you know? Um, and and, and, and uh, unless you get to an issue that is just so fundamentally wrong, I guess, in your mind, that you can't support it. But then you got to be willing to pay the price. And I guess that was like my situation when I refused to vote in favor of the levy. Um, and that's what got me tossed out of the Liberal government. Um, you know, it, it came about and uh, my constituents were calling me, emailing me, phoning me. I even said at the time, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to, maybe this is just the, uh, maybe this is just the vocal minority. So I'm going to go around and, and I did, I, I picked a couple of evenings and I went knocked on random doors in my district just to, just to say just for some feedback and it was all 100% you cannot support this you cannot especially this levy you can't support it and I didn't and uh, I knew when it happened that there was a good likelihood that I was going to be tossed now I tried 
over and over again to raise it in caucus. I met with the finance minister and so on, but they would hear not. They weren't going to have any part of it. So ultimately, when it came to that vote, uh, my conscience just wouldn't let me do it, and yeah. I voted it down. And I got tossed for it, and every member in a party understands, I think, that. The expectation is that you've got to vote yeah. with the party. You got to toe the line, and if you don't, you got to be prepared to die on that hill. That's Paul, what's going to happen. I got to toe the line now. Dave is telling me we're overdue, uh, so I got to go. He's he's giving me the the thumb. Git git. So um, <laughs> thanks very much for uh, taking the time with us this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Not a problem, Linda. Any time. Like to do it again sometime. Have a great weekend. And have a great weekend to our listeners. Thanks for listening, everyone.